0: Right. Uh, As you guys noticed, we didn't have a time of prayer yet, but what we're going to do is we're going to actually have a little bit of time of prayer after the sermon, uh, because we are actually kicking off a new series called Power, um, not based on the Kanye West uh, very popular hit that shows up in lots of movie trailers, uh, but really talking about the power of God in amazing ways. So if you'll join me first, let me pray, and then we'll jump into this. Father God, actually, we know that you are the uh, all-powerful one. You are omnipotent. Um, And yet, for so much of our own lives, Lord, we struggle to find out where um, or how it is that you can be our source of energy or our source of strength. And even in more in particular, Lord, our prayers sometimes feel so powerless, Lord. And we don't know how to uh, really see your power released in the world around us, Lord. So, God, I really pray, and we ask uh, by the name of Jesus today that you really open up our hearts and minds to change the way that we approach our relationship with you. But even more so, Lord, that we can see how powerful you are, Lord, and how eager you are to shape and change the world around us in new and amazing ways. So we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of power and really it's talking about the power of God and who he is and what that looks like. Um, And the reason we want to look at this is because uh, last week when we were thinking about both uh, what this world is looking like today and kind of the challenges that we have to face, the real question is, we as Christians in this world, what is the responsibility or what is the authority that we have in making changes? Um, I mean, we know there's so much frustration when we look at, like last week we were talking about climate change, we are talking about Hong Kong, we are talking about China. And it sometimes feels like we don't have any kind of power or authority to really make any difference. But actually, in reality, when we talk about God, and we talk about God being almighty and all-powerful, you have to understand, when we have been called to be his disciples, we have been called to be called his children, part of his family, he is inviting us to be part of his life-changing, world-changing group of people, his team. Uh, we, We were called, actually, to be his royal priesthood. Uh, The idea of discipleship means you follow someone and you do what they have done before. To be a disciple of Christ means that we are walking the same kind of life as Jesus. And it's kind of for us, we're trying to ask, what does it look like for us to really have this kind of power? When we talk about power, it is, on one hand, power is the ability to change something. Whoever has the authority, they're the ones that has the power to make changes. When Donald Trump became uh, president of the United States, I wrote a small article saying... In reality, he doesn't have that much power to change so many things, partially because the U.S. should have a checks of balances within the government and the judicial and the congressional. Unfortunately, what I didn't realize was that he would game the system and replace the judicial system with people that he wants, and also with the House, meaning that he had more power than I thought he should have. Our frustration, then, is as Christians, when we talk about our own power, the question is, okay, God, if you are all-powerful, how come sometimes when we pray, it feels empty? Or, God, if you are all-powerful, how come in our own lives we don't feel like we have the energy? If you are the one who has all that power, why do you feel so dry? And the thing that we're starting with is actually the power of prayer. This week is power of prayer, and next week is the power of proclaiming Jesus. And the reason I'm preaching these is I really want us to start looking at the time of summer, the time when it's, you know, it's really good weather, but really saying, God, how can you change the perspective of the way we live? to make us actually be your living and active disciples. And the thing we want to start with talking about is prayer. How do we have this living, active prayer life? Now, I know for a lot of us, we pray, right? We pray. If you're, if you're, if you're a good Christian, you pray before your meals, right? And then we might say, Dear God, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, and start eating, right? Maybe before you go to bed, you pray. You say a prayer that you prayed before you go to bed. Normally, Dear God... Uh, pray that my family's safe, everyone's safe, everyone's healthy. Amen. Sometimes you have desperation prayers. Oh, God, please don't let me be pregnant. Um, you know, those kind of desperate pregnancy prayers. Um, I'm just talking about maybe a certain generation of people who may be I- inappropriately promiscuous. No, that's no, just kidding. Um, there, is this, there is this challenge for all of us to be saying, actually, when we pray, where does that power come from? Where does that life come from? Um, See, for us, actually, praying, we know that this is talking to God. It's talking to the one who is king above kings. He's the one who has the authority and all the kind of power and emphasis. And I want to focus today, actually, on this verse in James. James chapter 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I don't know about you, but actually, in terms of my prayer life, I wish that it was more powerful. But when I think about that, what am, I, what am I really saying when I say I want a powerful prayer? I want a powerful, impactful prayer. Actually, sometimes it makes it seem more like I'm trying to say, God, I wish when I prayed things would happen. Right? That's that's kind of what we're talking about. When we're talking about the power of prayer. But is that what this really means? Okay, and I want to think about this a little bit, right? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The key point here is that it's a righteous person. Now, there's another verse where this is reflected, the same kind of idea. Um, 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All right? God is listening to the person who is righteous. And God is listening to the person who is speaking out who is righteous in their heart. But if you're evil, if your heart is turned to the wrong thing, you know, God's face or God's will is against that. We look at one more uh, verse in Proverbs chapter 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wick- wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Now, in all of these things, that, the idea is both prayer and righteousness seem to be tied together. In fact, the person who is righteous, God hears. Now, there's a, there's a problem with this, though. The question is, wait, does this mean that if you are good, then God will listen to you? Because if that's the case, then it's just like all the other religions, right? It's like, oh, the person who is good, then God will listen. So we don't be bad so that God will hear our prayers. I mean, that's, that seems like all the other kind of religions out there, right? But is this what this is saying? Actually, when we talk about righteousness, we're trying to say, actually, how does my heart or my life become righteous so that I can have an effective prayer life? It's this idea still, right? It's this, calm, this, this talking to God. And for us, it's this thing, like, if I am righteous, if I have this crown of righteousness, and I'm living this way, I'm talking, then God will hear us. Our problem is, when we think about prayer this way, it is one-sided. When we read that verse, the prayer of a righteous person is power-effective, we think to ourselves, okay, I must be righteous so that my prayer is powerful. If I am righteous, then God will listen to my prayer and respond to me. But actually, This idea of a righteous prayer, you have to understand prayer is not one-sided. It is this conversation that exists between you and God. And the only way you will know what righteousness is, is if you are in a conversation with God. The whole point of prayer is for us to be talking and engaging with God. The righteous person's prayer is powerful and effective because this person knows what righteousness is because they talk to God about it. All the other religions do it this way. You think you know what's good. You try to feel what's in your heart to do what's good. And you try to be moral this way. And then you hope that your God will respond to you in this way. But actually, our God is saying, actually, we have engaged and we have entered into this relationship of righteousness. In other words, we are learning what it means to be righteous through our conversation with God. The more that you talk to him about that, the more that you understand him, that means your prayer will be more effective. Because your heart and your mind and your actions are on the same page with God. If you want your prayers to be effective, you have to know who it is that you're talking to. Your relationship with God has to be living and active. See, the reality is God is not a vending machine, or he is not a Santa Claus, or he's a genie in a lamp. And yet that's how we pray to him, right? We pray and say, God, will you answer my prayer? Will you wave your magic wand? Will you come out of the lamp and say, Shazam, and make something happen? But that kind of perspective is why our prayers are ineffective. Because we're treating God as some distant, wish-granting genie. But actually, what God is saying is, I am in this living, personal relationship with you. And I want you to know my heart. And I want to know your heart so that we are on the same page of things. I think the best example of this is actually trying to raise children. So let's say you have a child. Some of you guys may actually have life experience in this. You actually have your own child at home. If you have, you can play this game at home if you want. If you don't, you can play this with your friends. Let's say you have a child and your child really loves playing on their iPhone. Oh no, sorry, you shouldn't buy your children iPhones. Imagine you have a child and they love playing on your iPhone or they like playing on the iPad all the time. And as a parent, you see how happy they are when they're playing on the phone, right? And I've seen many parents, they're sitting there, and the child will run up to them, grab the phone out of their hand, put in the the parent's uh, secret PIN number, which is normally 0000, and then uh, just go, clearly, by the way, parents, you should really try to change your PIN. I'm just just putting that out there. Okay. Um, and uh, they go grab that and they take that and they start playing on their phone. Now, as a parent, you love seeing your children happy, right? And you love seeing them happy. And so sometimes you're like, okay, well, I'll let them play on the phone. I'll let them play on the iPad. Now, this is what our relationship with God is like. We say to God, oh God, I really want this. Then we run up to him and say, okay, I want to do this. So I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this thing. And God, in his infinite love and wisdom, may be like, yeah, actually, I'm not sure that's a great idea. Okay, now if you are a parent and you have children and you have been through this scenario, and your child has come up to you and said, "I want to play iPad," taking the iPad and start playing it, and then you say, "Hey, I don't think that's a gr- I don't think you should be. Maybe you shouldn't be playing this right now." And you, you use your you use your spouse as an excuse. I don't think Mom would be very happy if you're playing with this. I just want to be the good guy, so I'm going to blame Mom here. Um, and you know, you take the iPad away from the child. What happens? There's a tantrum. A tantrum breaks out and says, no, I want to play this. And they get really upset and they get really frustrated. And they're like, oh, and as a parent, you have this option at this point. Do I just give it back to them so they stop crying? Or do I do what's right? Now, see, if you love your child, you cannot let them play iPad all the time because it's not healthy for them. It's like that mom, which I love using, who just kept giving their kid chocolate buttons because they, for the kid wanted. It's not healthy for them. It's not the right way to live. Now, when you you transfer this idea to our relationship with God, we ask God for things all the time, hoping that he will give us the answer that we want. But actually, what God is most interested in is developing this living relationship with us so that we start learning what is right, so that we can start asking him for things that are on the same page as him. Now, Now, this is the amazing part of it. It's like, If we start realizing actually God does not want to just keep giving us stuff we want and our prayers are still very small, very narrow-minded, of course our prayers are not powerful, effective, because we're not on the same page with God. Our desire is then actually trying to say, God, how do we have this relationship of righteousness with you? The focus of our prayer life, if you want a powerful and effective prayer life, the key is there. It's in righteousness, becoming this righteous person. If that's the point of this, if you want a powerful and effective life with prayer life, you have to start asking God, God, what does it mean to be righteous? Can you teach me and show me what righteousness is and what righteousness looks like and how I can have a righteous life? Because as you start doing that, you will begin to have your heart and your mind shaped. You know, when your child comes to you and says, oh, I want to play iPad, you're saying, I don't want you just to, I don't want to have to stop you every time you want to play iPad. I want you to learn for yourself when's the right time. I want you to learn how to self-moderate yourself. But that's that's a kid. In our relation with God, actually, we're saying, God, teach me exactly what it means to be righteous, what it means to do the right thing. See, praying with the power of a living relationship our relationship with God is living and powerful, but we do not treat it like that. You know, we are talking to God Almighty, the one who created everything. And we're asking him for, like, stuff for our lives to make it better, or will, or plan, or get into university, which are, it's fine. I understand why we pray those things, because they're immediate. They're important to us. But our prayer life really needs to shift to start saying, God, actually, will you help me understand and know what is righteous so that I can pray with that same heart, with that same passion that you have for the world around us, for the people around us, for your children, for your family, for your spouse. Prayer is effective because we are speaking to a real powerful loving almighty god the funny thing about praying to to buddha or praying to the the monk the lucky monkey or to having a, a plant outside your house that brings good fortune to them none of that stuff is real these things are not really powerful but the god that we know the god that we believe in he is true and powerful and almighty and unstoppable And if this is who he is, then our prayers are ineffective, not because of his power, but because we don't know what we're asking for. And we need to start saying, God, teach me what it is that I should be asking for. Teach me how to pray. See, the power is from God. And the reason God gives us this power of prayer is because he really wants us to be part of his work in changing the world. This power exists to really change the world to change the world around us. It's not just given to us for for selfish motives. It is really saying, God, what is your heart's desire for this world? What is the righteousness that you desire for this world? And what is the righteousness you desire for my life? Because I need to start praying that way. I think one of the most powerful prayers to start with is actually saying, God, God, with the power that you have, with the almighty power that you have that has conquered sin and death, God, will you make my heart righteous? Will you like, make it so that nothing else in this world lures my heart? There's nothing else I desire more than righteousness. Righteousness isn't about being right, okay? Just to make it clear, righteousness is about being, not being like you're having a fight with your wife and you're saying, you know what, though? I'm right because I'm the righteous one. No, Righteousness is actually about knowing very clearly in God's heart what is the right way to live, what is the right thing to be doing. It's this mixture of wisdom and goodness. Righteousness doesn't come out and show off how much better you are than someone else, but righteousness has that also delicate balance of humility and at the same time purpose and clarity. When we're asking God for this righteousness, and this first thing saying, God, with the power that you have, is your heart's desire for us to be your righteous people? When I talk to non-Christians, actually, one of the biggest frustrations they have with Christian people is that we say one thing and do another. Actually, let me, let me forget. Let's, let's rewind that. When I was working with youth, one of the biggest frustrations they had with Christians was that their parents would say they're Christians, but they would live completely differently at home. So growing up with, a teen- with the teenagers that were takeaway kids, their biggest frustration was that their mom and dad would say, oh, you should go to church, you should pray. But at home, they would know they would cheat taxes or they would gamble or they would fight at each other and say horrible things to their children. And the children would be like, why would I want to be a Christian? These people are just hypocrites. They're just fakes. I- I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't die on the cross so that he could have a generation of people generations of people his children his family to live in this really unrighteous way actually god's greatest desire was so that we his people would understand how beautiful his purity was but more than that would to grow in this relationship where we are asking god for his help to make us more righteous i think this is amazing i think this is beautiful God's love for us is so great. His power for us is so powerful that his desire for us is to say, how can we, God's desire, I want to make you better. I want to make your heart, you know, right. I want to make it so that you don't live your life addicted to the iPad or the iPhone, but rather you have this freedom to live and to move and to do things in your life that you did not think were possible. When we start looking at prayer this way, it's not, Not that it's wrong to pray and ask for things, but we're saying, actually, God, the deeper heart of prayer, what you really want us to look for is to see how to have this relationship of righteousness. You start saying, actually, God, the way that you want to change this world is through that type of prayer. I've been changing the way I pray for people around me, changing the way I pray for politicians, changing the way I pray for uh, my parents or my family. So I used to pray that they would change, you know, their behavior or that they would be uh, kicked out of office or that the impeachment would work. You know, I, w- I would pray those things. Very, very frustrated, angry, cynical things. And that's okay. You can cry out that way. But my prayer has been changing a little bit. It's been praying more for actually, God, will your, you know, will your love overwhelm this person? Because if he knew how much you loved him, that that would change. God, will you, will you use my children To just see how great you are so that they will have rest and peace in you. So they will live their lives out righteously to shape and change this world in a new way. God has put you all in different positions. And maybe you're not in a job. Maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe you're in a job you're hate. Maybe you're in a a school you're not happy with. And we're thinking it all on this surface level here. We're praying for all these surface things. And God is saying, actually, If you pray for my heart to be your heart, I can use you in a different way in those different places to do different things. You know, your purpose and your identity and the reason that you are where you are, you are there because you are a righteous citizen of heaven that God has placed in that position for such a change. When we look in the, the New Testament, we look at Acts, you know, actually, in the early church, there are slaves, people working there. There are men. There are women. Their status in society were, was all over the place. And the early church had this ability to have them all together because they all knew, even though they didn't love where they were, and even they didn't feel like they had the power to change that, they knew it didn't matter because their righteousness was other than God. And their focus of their life was that same kind of Righteousness. To live in that kind of way to shape the world around them. The reason the Roman Empire ends up falling is because actually Christ and his message moves all the way up to the top. And then after that, God is like, great, now keep sharing that message. In other words, God's plan has always been, let us be praying for the change to happen in people's hearts. Because we can't just expect some method to fix it. Ian Bounds wrote this. Uh, Ian Bounds has wrote a, a couple of really good books on prayer. This one's taken from. There are a couple quotes here from the power of prayer. Um, but for us, when we look at it, we we sometimes think very much in terms of method or plans. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. What does this mean? You know, when you look at Jesus, and Jesus Jesus picked twelve disciples that He's going to train up. Okay, now if you If you were doing a research project or you were trying to propose some theory, say, hey, I came up with this great idea to change the world. My methodology will be this. I will pick 12 people, and these 12 people will somehow transform the entire world. This is a great method. I think this is a really good plan. I think a lot of us would be like, I feel like you need more media coverage. I feel like 12 is very low. No, no, the 12 is good. Not only that is they'll probably all die horrible deaths and be persecuted. I, th- I got a really good feeling about this methodology. It's a good way. I tell you if you went to your supervisor, they'd be like, well, um, I like what you're thinking there, but can we just go through the normal political system and we just try to find rich and powerful people and they could be, you know, Christian influencers and we can put them on Christian Instagram and then you can change the world that way. Like, methodology is what we are so focused on, because we think that's a better way to do things. But Jesus was so convinced. Actually, if you transform people's hearts, that's more important. The rest of the story will unfold as long as we are getting better people. When he's talking about better men, he's not saying, oh, higher qualified, higher skilled. He's saying when the people, when their hearts are transformed, when they are closer and more desiring of righteousness— then this world will be changed. Now, you just stop for a second. Think about a difficult situation that you're in, that you have to deal with difficult people. Okay, just think about that situation. It could be your workplace. It could be a colleague. It could be your spouse or a family member, a difficult situation. And the way we pray is, God, oh, maybe you could change this or maybe could change that. But actually, if our prayer is, God, first of all, can you make my heart more righteous, more loving, more close to you, so that I see the situation the same way you do? I mean, that's amazing. But think about this. What if God changes the heart of that person? What does that look like then? What does that change in your relationship with them? What does that change in the opportunities that God will present through that? You understand, if God changes the person, your enemy, but your heart is still unrighteous and still bitter, you'll see this situation and just be like, well, whatever. We're still not friends. But if you let God change your heart to righteousness, and then God changes this person's heart, then suddenly you have this ability to move forward. And you start seeing how this wave can move forward in things, don't you? Sometimes I think, well, we're just a small-ish Chinese church in Birmingham. I mean, we're I mean we're ethnic minorities here in a city full of more ethnic minorities and you know we don't we don't even know what's necessarily our home or where we belong or what our place is. And it's very easy at this point to just say we'll let, you know, all the real Brexit discussions, everything else just be left to someone else. And we're thinking about the methods. And we're thinking about the systems. And we're thinking about the frustrations with whether democracy is working or the finance world is working. And God is saying, take your eyes off that for a second. Because Jesus wasn't firstly concerned with the Roman Empire. He was most concerned with the hearts of one another. And in that case, even then, those 12 disciples. Our our prayers really need to start focusing on people on ourselves, saying, God, change my heart, shift my focus away from, you know, the stuff and onto the things which really matter. There's another quote, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer, by men I'm, we're including, it's not gender specific. The Holy, Go- the Holy Ghost, which is what they called it back then, does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. You know, do, do, you, do you understand? Like, it's true, right? God didn't send his son to die on the cross so that um, the airplane might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or the iPhone might be filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he did it so that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and he's saying, like, actually the most powerful people that are used are the ones who are actively and powerfully praying for other people. Not other plans. You know, we're really saying the ministry that we have here as Christians is ministry to one another. Love one another pray for one another, care for one another. It is people that we are concerned with. Not plans, not stuff, not things. Our prayer life really has to shift. Our thinking really has to shift. And we have to yearn and desire for righteousness. And we're saying, God, let me know your righteous heart more and more so that I know what kind of plans I need to be making, what kind of prayers I need to be making, and how I can be touching and sharing and speaking to the people around me so you want to change the world for christ and it's a massive task but actually we do it one life at a time you do it one person at a time it's true we love hearing about the crusades we like counting how many people come to church why it totally doesn't matter unless you're meeting and talking to people one person at a time, praying into their lives, sharing your life with them. Discipleship happens one person with another person at a time. And this really needs to be our mindset. This really needs to be our focus. It is people and bringing them to God. That change, the changing of the world, that happens through prayer. Prayer. It, there's a passage in Acts, and uh, at this point, Paul was in prison, and he was trapped in uh, prison. And they were—actually, uh, uh, it was Peter trapped in prison, and they were like uh, in chains. And then there these Christians, and they were praying in the house, and they are saying, Oh, God, please set them free. Uh, let them be saved or let them be healed. And they're not sure what the prayers are, but they're praying fervently for them in prison. Now, what happens is God breaks them out of jail— uh, the chains fall off. They uh, are let out. And they go up and they show up at the door. And they're locking on the door. Hey, 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 let us in. And they're like, who are you? It's Peter. We're here. I said, no, you're not. It's not true. And he runs back and say, now, there's an interesting question here. Because we normally think prayer and faith are so tightly close together. If you have more faith, then somehow your prayer will be more effective. And it's difficult because if we say that, then we're saying, oh, you weren't healed because you didn't have enough faith. Or this didn't happen because you didn't have faith. But actually, you look at these... Uh, followers of jesus and they're all praying in this room for uh peter to be set free from prison and what happens he gets set free from prison and they're knocking on the door and they don't believe it now if you have faith you'd be like oh hallelujah because i knew the lord was going to do this no they have they have such a little faith because they're like no it's not true they're probably thinking it's a spy they've come to arrest us they cracked under pressure we're going to be arrested no and they're not sure until they finally open the door and they see and you start realizing it is not about the faith but it is this righteousness These guys, they had the right heart. They knew what God desired. And they were yearning for that. Actually, their greatest desire was, may the name of Jesus be glorified and exalted through whatever situation comes up. And then when the miracle happens, they can have overwhelming joy. The faith that we see is not in that the miracles happen. The faith is that our God is all-powerful and all-good, and nothing can stop him that there is no limit to what God can do. Our question then is actually, God, how do I let my heart become more righteous so that I can always pray in faith? Because I am not doubting God because my righteousness is set in the same place as he is. My effective prayer happens because I know, actually, the things that I'm praying for, I know God would desire the same thing. And I don't know how it might unfold, but I know my God is good. I know my heart is in the right place, and I'm praying these things not out of selfish gain or self-motive, but because I love God, and I know God loves this person. See, our prayer life, unfortunately, is very self-centered or misinformed. Our prayers actually need to overflow more with love to really say, God, your love wash over and transform and do amazing things in people's lives. That you absolutely, completely overturn this person's life with your goodness and your love. The miracles that happen or if we see healing, that is all so that God's love might overflow on that person and the name of Jesus may be declared. That is the desire that we have. And it's really starting to let our hearts shift and start thinking, actually, God, actually teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray first and start with myself for righteousness. God, let my heart be in the right place. God, let my, let my heart desire holiness. God, change me from my attitudes or, or my actions. I, I don't want to keep in, being in the same loop. God, actually, I I really want to be just like you. I want every part of me to be more and more like you so that the other stuff just gets washed away. Jesus' prayers were the most effective because he was perfectly righteous. And he always knew what God's heart's desire was. Now, there's this moment in Gethsemane where Jesus is praying and he's talking And it's in this prayer that you get to see a little bit of what a conversation of righteousness looks like. So Jesus knows that he's about to endure great suffering. It's not just a crucifixion on the cross. It's not just the torture up to that. It's the fact that his death means that he will have to take on the sin of the world. He'll have to be cut off from God for a moment. And so what's his prayer look like? Now, this conversation, this prayer of righteousness is what we need to learn how to do. He says, Lord, if this cup can be taken away from me, make it so. Like, this is a conversation that we learn from. Where he says, actually, God, what's the right thing? What's the best thing? In fact, what's the thing that will bring the most glory to you? What's the thing that should be done? And in this prayer, God doesn't open up the heavens and the Father in heaven says, yeah, you should do this. But even in this conversation that Jesus has, he then says, but not your will, not not my will, but yours be done. In other words, he already hears back from God in this living conversation. And that is what prayer is. It is this living conversation with God himself. That as we search and seek for righteousness, he begins to prompt our heart and tell us what is right, and we are responsible then to acting on it and to choosing the right way to live. It is not a one-sided, empty conversation. He is not a vending machine that you just say some things to it out, pop some crisps. No, he is the one who is speaking into our lives already. When we sit in prayer, when we come to God, it's very hard because you might close your eyes and suddenly all these other thoughts pop into your head. Or if you were playing Tetris, you start seeing blocks falling from the sky. These things happen. And it's a sign that actually our minds do not know how to be still before the Lord. But if we're saying, actually, God, I, I need my prayer life to be right, you start off just by saying, God, anything that is unrighteous in me, can you block it out? Because I want to hear from you. I want to know your righteousness. As you begin to pray that way, and he begins to prompt your heart, say, you know what, you should do this, you respond and say, yep, you're right. I want to make that change. And if you cannot, then you just say, then God, let your power help me. Let your power help me. Your power help change me. And I respond in that way. Coming back to the kids and the iPad. So you know what it is when you have a conversation with them. and say, oh, no, I really want to play iPad all the time. Okay, so I had a conversation with my son. And we are talking about uh, video games on the phone. And he's saying, oh, and then we are trying to work out some kind of arrangement. And we are saying, you know, look, I know you can't play on your phone all the time. I also know it's very tempting to be there. I also know sometimes you want to play, but you don't want to ask because you're afraid we're going to say no. And you want to play because Oscar's doing something else. It's a good time. What kind of arrangement can we work on? And he suggests, oh, well, maybe we can set a limit. Now, now, see, that's a conversation. That's one where he knows what's the right heart, but he also knows that like, I won't be able to stop by myself, so maybe we can set a limit. He can set a screen time thing. You set up the parental thing, and I trust you in that. That's where, actually, you would say, he says, I don't have the power myself to always self-regulate, so I need to look to you, Dad, because you have the power to actually help me stop. In our prayer life, if we have this desire for righteousness, we're talking to God and saying, Yeah, actually, God, I know that this isn't right. I don't always have the power to stop. But I, I need that power. I need you to help me. I need you to stop me when it gets to that point. You know, do what you need to do to stop me. This is why Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, you should step it off. Your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's saying, if you don't have the power, you have to ask God for the power to help you to stop. Because righteousness should be our desire, because it is the gift. That God wants to give to us. And then the more and more you have that thinking or that understanding, the more you'll be able to know how to pray for God to transform the people around you. So if our first part is saying, actually, God, let my heart become more righteous, our second thing is then saying, God, teach us how to pray for people around us. And you just start one person at a time. And I would pick your enemy, all right? I would pick someone that you don't like. Pick someone that you're like frustrated with that annoys you and say, God, actually, you know, let your love flow over this person's life. It could be your boss, it could be your workplace, it could be someone that you're having an argument with. You're really asking God, let your love come over this person more so than anything else. Let your righteousness be alive in this person's life so you can change the things. And that's personal. The next thing is then starting to pray for people outside of our power and ability. When we pray for world leaders, when we pray for world events, we're praying, actually, God, for the people in charge there. God, will your righteousness be upon them so they will know what is the right thing to do, so they will walk in the way of righteousness and turn an eye away from wickedness. See, how many, how many Christians are there in the world? It's actually a growing number, you know. It's not growing based on births. The, the number of Christians growing in the world is uh, increasing. It's decreasing maybe in Europe. But across the rest of the world, it's on the rise. And people are turning more to him. And we see this because we have this picture. Actually, God is doing a great thing. If we are his citizens, we still tap into that and say, God, keep using me let my prayer life just flow out let me see that there is nothing that can stop you that your goodness can still transform the world around us there should be nothing that can hold us back from you this last quote talking to men for god is a great thing but talking to god for men is greater still he will never talk well and with real success to men for God. Who has not learned well how to talk to God for men? It almost flips these things on our head, doesn't it? We normally think, well, let's just talk to people first and then see what happens. But actually, saying if you don't learn how to pray for people, if you don't know how to go to God and bring these people to Him first, you're not going to know how to talk to them well. If you're talking from your own self or your own pride or your own situations but actually learning how to pray for the people around you is where it starts. Husband and wife. i to take some time to talk to you guys as a couple. Um, I will say if you are newly married, uh, things are normally still good. If it's not doing so well now, don't worry. You should write it out. Kids are not the answer. Just saying. Um, but one of the key things for husband and wife is learning how to pray for each other, learning how to really communicate to each other in prayer, whether that's together or separate, but it's really learning how to pray for the other person. Pray for God's righteousness to be more alive in your spouse's life. I know there's a lot of time we want to change their behavior. We want to change what they do, and that's fine. That's a normal part of a marriage relationship conversation. But when we talk about spiritually, there should be a great hunger and a desire for you to desire the best for your spouse's spiritual life. And do not underestimate the power of prayer in this. I mean, it makes sense, right? If God is the author of that spiritual life, doesn't it make sense for us to say, oh, actually, maybe if I ask God to really be more alive in my spouse's life, then that's it. Like, it is a million times more effective than you trying to force your spouse to come to church. You know, praying for them and asking God and inviting him to have that ask to have that, you know, ability to speak in that life, that is what God desires for us. Now, husbands and wives with kids, all that previous stuff that I just said also applies to you. Even though I know a lot of times we just think to ourselves, I'm so tired, so tired. I don't have time to pray for my wife. I barely have time to pray for myself. In fact, it is very difficult because we get so caught up with so many other things that we lose sight of actually what a living relationship with God looks like. We are so busy with our work and um, because if we don't have those jobs, we can't send them to the schools or all the extra clubs that we want. We're worried about if they're heading into teenagehood or if they're just babies that you lose sight of all this. And we spend so much time talking or trying to make things work that we actually forget that it is God that we need to look to first. And really praying and inviting him to give you the strength for the day, but also for that righteousness to be demonstrated in your kid's life, both in your own life and also in theirs. Parents, we have this very important responsibility, one, to pray for our children, but to pray for our spouse. Your marriage is still so key to this. Do you know why? At some point, your kid's okay, hopefully, will grow up and leave the house and start their own families. And you're going to be stuck with your spouse, the person you married. I think the problem is sometimes the marriage conversation breaks down because it only becomes talking about kids, only about the future of the kids or what's happening next. And we lose sight of that. Husbands and wives, it's never too late to start saying, I want to start faithfully praying for my spouse, for them to love and to know and experience God more richly and more wonderfully each day. It is far more effective than just trying to tell them what to do, but just dedicated. Do you know what? I want to make sure I pray for my spouse every day. And lifting them up to that. And really saying, God, that righteousness that you have, let them love that. Let them rest more in that. We far too often lose sight of actually what it means to really pray for one another and to really say we are tapping into the power of the almighty God and inviting him into our life and saying, God, let me hear from you. Start showing me what it really looks like and what it means to be praying for these people. How to really let that life and that love flow out from me and onto other people. See, at the end of the day, this is all just random talk. It's just a sermon unless we actually pray, unless we actually spend time and cry out to God. And our prayer is first starting, God, let me know righteousness. God, convict me of my sin. God, let me repent of that. Ask God to change you. Ask him for the power to change you. Ask God to transform hearts and lives. Cry out for breakthrough in other people's lives. Ask God for help because it's the power of our amazing Heavenly Father. See, I've I've, um, been in Christian ministry for 20 years. You see a lot of things. And there's a lot of people that you prayed for. And you've tried really hard. Like in doing youth work and university work, there's a lot of energy I've spent into trying to change someone's behavior, trying to change someone's life. You do everything you can. I tell you, you know, you can... I, you spend so much of your own money, you spend a lot of your time trying to take them places, trying to encourage them, send them to conferences, all of this. But I've discovered all those plans, all those methods, they might be good, but it, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And then you start realizing, actually, maybe, maybe prayer is the better way to do this. Because if there's someone who has the power to prompt hearts or to teach people things deeper is, is, is God. And you're really asking God, God, you know, you you change their hearts. Use me in whatever way you want, but you do it. There have been many times where I am crying out to God for people because I love them so much and it frustrates me so much to see that they're still stuck in the same kind of loop. And you don't know how to help them out, but all you can do is pray. And I will admit, there are some times when you're praying and you're like, What's the point? just cut them loose let them sink in the ocean it's not not my problem am i my brother's keeper you know and you just want to stop praying you want to just give up and now I think, well this is someone else's kid if it was my son i wouldn't want someone to keep praying and even though i know it it's not my power the joy is when you start saying god it is your power and your unlimited power because we speak And we pray to an almighty, unstoppable, all-knowing, all-powerful God who is not some fake statue in front of a Chinese takeaway, but he is the true and living God. And so we pray, and we talk, and we converse with him, and we say, teach me your righteousness, teach me your life. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray and then invite the worship team to come up. And uh, they're going to lead us into a song. And as we respond with that song, after that, I want us to encourage, or even during that, I want us to encourage to really start praying. Um, and start off just spend some time praying for yourself. But after that, I'm going to open up the time for you guys to pray for one another, to pray for each other. If there's people that you know, if there's people that you know you should pray whether or that you want to pray with, or that you've just met and you feel like God is prompting your heart to pray with them, Step one is to move when God tells you to move and to pray. And if you're not sure what words you're going to pray, just take the opportunity to say, you know what, though? i want to pray for this person. I want to bring them before God because this is what it looks like to be a family. This is what it looks like to know that our God is a living and powerful God. Let me pray as the worship team comes up. Lord Jesus, I and mean, we come before you, and we see actually in your life how honest and how true you were. We see in your conversation with God the Father Almighty, and we know of the times that you went up onto the mountainside to pray to seek God's will. We know the times that you were grieving with John when after hearing of John the Baptist's death. At the same time, Lord, in this whole thing, we see that you were in this living, dynamic, amazing relationship and conversation with God the Father. And so we yearn for that same thing in our lives, Lord. For those of us here who have never really had this living, dynamic relationship with you, who don't know what it means to hear from you or to have your spirits prompting in our lives, God, will you open up our lives today Open our hearts and minds that we receive, that we know, that we really engage and feel that truth, Lord. Because you are a living God and you want us to be in conversation with you. So we know that the powerful, effective prayer comes from someone who's righteous. So Lord, let us begin this righteous conversation with you this morning. Show us and teach us what it means to be righteous, to be your children. Convict us of the things that we know are not right. Challenge our heart. Let us respond and move to what your spirit tells us. Lord, let your spirit lead this time of prayer as we come and respond to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. As we sing this song in response, you can take this time to either sing or just spend some time praying. Uh, and as if, and then when you feel like you want to, you can feel free to move around and come and grab someone next to you to pray. Or if there's someone else you feel like you want to pray for, just go ahead and grab them and pray as well. Let's come and worship and pray.